All right. Good morning. Praise the Lord. If you would, turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 28. How's everybody doing this morning? Praise the Lord. We've been doing a series, and um, I've been on it for three weeks, just trying to... Um, Trying to determine the things that um, the things that would enable our country to have a blessing, as opposed to God's disfavor on our country. So I tried to mark those things over the course of history that seems to um, demonstrate our nation seeking to be pleasing to God and therefore getting a blessing. And so here I am in my fourth week, and I'm actually changing course a little bit. Um, I've taught a lot of history over the last three weeks. And uh, so this is the last two parts where I said I would go over what America has not been great at and how we need to move forward. And uh, to be honest, uh, I'm somebody that has studied history for a very long time, and I guess you would say it's a hobby. I don't know if it's something that I joyfully do. Uh, I do it and seem to have a lot of books on history and seem to study it a lot. But it's more for me to understand what's going on around me than it is probably my love, if that makes sense. But um, it's hard for me to preach sermons uh, talking about history. I just It, it drains me. It wears me out. Um, one of the things that when I was praying about teaching is I'm going to go a different direction and I'm going to go back to my Bible sermons because uh, history, one thing that I don't like about history is, um, how many of you know that history is written by the victors? And so history a lot of times is just determined by who wrote history and that's why I try to have so many different volumes of history from so many different vantage points because history a lot of times is not always fact, Amen? It's not like the Scriptures that is uh, breathed by God and, and, and is acceptable to be called truth. And so um, for my last two parts, I'm going to go away a little bit from telling history because it seems like in history there is a desire to have good guys and bad guys. You know, there's a desire to paint certain people in positive lights and certain people in negative lights. And a lot of times it's um, it's just painted that way. How many know that when you study history? And so there's a desire to have people that are all good guys or all bad guys or all oppressors and oppressed. And people want to break things in categories when the truth is the human nature is depraved. The Bible says it's deceitful beyond anything that there is in this world as the human heart. And so I find it easier to when we, when we talk about where we're at right now and where are we going in America, I feel like it's a lot easier to go straight to the Bible to pinpoint where we're at and uh, where we're going. And uh, Romans does a very, very good job. In fact, let's read it uh, here in Romans one twenty eight. It says, And just as they, we've got to figure out who the they is, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. So what did they do? They didn't think it was fit to acknowledge God any longer. So God gave them over to a depraved mind 
to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do they do the same, but they also give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and uh, we're here to be instructed by you, Lord God. Remove the speaker. Let me hide behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Father, give us ears to hear and ears to learn, Lord God, and to put into action your words. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. So as we get in Romans 1.28, this is a better lens to evaluate our country. Because really what you have in history is those who have been driven by the Word of God and those that have been driven by their human heart. And when you're driven by the human heart, guess what's going to happen? The things that Romans 1 talks about is inevitably going to always happen if God isn't directing the paths of an individual or a nation. So Paul, in Romans, the book of Romans, Paul is trying to give an understanding of what sin is and who is a sinner and uh, where we stand with God when it comes to sin. In fact, one of the key verses there is in 17, and it says um, in verse 17, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So that famous term, the righteous shall live by faith, Paul breaks it down into three little phrases there. One is the righteous, which Romans, it makes a point to try to explain who is righteous. And when Paul gets done writing the book of Romans, in the first three chapters, he leaves it very clear that there's nobody that's righteous. There's no religious people that are righteous. There are no sinners that are righteous. There are no nations that are righteous. There are no individuals that can claim the right to be called righteous. There's really only one left, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that is righteous. And he says there is a righteousness that is revealed from heaven. So Paul is revealing what the Bible, he says, from first to last is revealing that there is a righteousness. Now what is righteousness? Righteousness means to be right. And we all want to be right. History wants to tell all about people who are right and people who are wrong and and, and people who are good and people who are bad when the truth is we're all unrighteous. And so this lens is the perfect lens to look not only at our nation, but, but, but the world. And to understand, are we doing righteousness that is from God, or are we just doing what seems right in our own heart and our own eyes? And so I'm going to finish this sermon. Thank goodness I'm not preaching history again. Because I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm kind of like, there's a lot. I mean, like I said, I, 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 t- history's hard because there's so many layers. I mean, there's a, if I told you to tell me the history of, of the United States in the last 40 years, where do you start? And when you're telling history of hundreds of, and thousands of years, where do you start? 
There's so many wrinkles and so many directions to go and so many things to sort through, and then I've got to come back, and guess what? I've got to make it simple. <laughs> and that's the hardest part. And be accurate. And um, so anyway, Paul in Romans here, uh, some people would call this the graveyard of the past. Because in this scripture in Romans chapter 1, some people will say, well, this is the gauge of a nation. This is the levels at which they sin. And once they get to that last level, they're untouchable. They're without hope. And there's no way that they will survive when they get to that last level. But I think what Paul is actually doing here is saying, this is the course that sin will take if you just get a little bit off course from God. In fact, do you know that in the Garden of Eden, all Satan said for them to uh, quit trusting God was, uh, did God say? A very simple little thing. Did God say this? And then he went on to explain to them, God's keeping something from you. God's not telling you everything because if he, if you know everything and you eat from that tree, then uh, you're going to be like him. And so he's withholding knowledge from you. And that was just, how many know that was just a little bit of a sidestep from what God wanted them to trust him? God was going to explain everything about this world to Adam and Eve, but he was going to do it in the right timing. How many know that? He was going to let them know everything, but it was a matter of time before God reveals information. Just like a kid, you know, you don't sit with a kid that's four years old and start to teach him calculus, right? And Satan was like, well, God hadn't taught you calculus, and you're like, I'm three years old. You know, just give me time, you know. And then from that little sidestep, right, away from God, within one generation, one of their sons is murdering their other son. A few more generations, a man named Lamech kills a man, and it's a badge of honor for him. And he says, if God protected Cain, who killed Abel, even more so he'll protect me. And he was proud that he committed murder. That's how much worse than it gotten in those few generations. And then by the time you get to Noah, the earth is filled with violence and wickedness to an extreme that God finally said, uh, I got to end this. I got to preserve the ones that want righteousness, but this world very quickly. And God was just trying to show us what happens when we go away from God. And so in my sermon, where are we at and where are we going in America? What I want to look at is where are we at in reference to Romans chapter one? Because that tells us where you are. And once you know where you are, you can figure out where you want to go. And so in Romans chapter one, these are the warning signs of what would be called the death spiral of an individual or a nation. A death spiral, how many have ever heard that term? If you're in a helicopter and something fails on that helicopter, you start going into what's called the death spiral. And man, there's just no chance, every pilot knows there's no chance to get that thing back into a stable position. It's in a death spiral and it's trying to abandon the ship. And the same thing in an airplane. There will be a thing where that airplane just... One of the wings may be damaged or there may be damage to one of the engines. And there's no ability to propel the airplane in the air. And we have what's called a death spiral. And so individuals and nations can find themselves in the death spiral, which is what Romans talks about. And this is a graveyard 
of nations and a graveyard of individuals. It's full of corpses and you can look and you can say, man, they turned their back on God and this is what happened. And so we've got to find on those pages where are we at in America because you know what? It's not hopeless. I mean, know that. Paul wrote the book of Romans sitting in Corinth, which was a Greek city, and that city of Corinth was one of the most wicked places in the world. In fact, it was probably would make people that uh, live in Las Vegas blush. You know, Las Vegas is called Sin City. Corinth, where Paul wrote this book, he had never met the Roman church. He was writing to the superpower of the world, which is the Roman government. And he was writing to the city of Rome and writing to Christians in Rome, but he was sitting in Corinth while he was writing it. One Corinth, uh, on one side of him, was the uh, Temple of Apollos, which was a homosexual cult. How I many know that? It was an all-male, homosexual, Greek cult of Apollos. And on the other side was a heterosexual cult, and they all were involved in prostitution. Wasn't that a wonderful thing to say on Sunday morning? You shouldn't say that, Chad, but it's Bible. And so this is a very corrupt society that was in the Roman one tailspin. And was Paul abandoning Corinth? No, Paul was going in to save lives. Uh, In fact, he had to talk to them about um, the behavior of the men and women because so many people were getting saved. Amen? Can you say hallelujah? So many were being saved from these cults. How do I know that? Because he gives a list in Corinth of all the people that, that, that were in the church, and he said some of you were homosexual, some of you were adulterers, some of you were fornicators, some of you were liars, some of you were this, some of you were that. And then he said, such were some of you, but not now. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus. So Paul isn't abandoning the culture. Paul's going in with everything he has. He's risking his life to save people that are in a tailspin of sin. How many know that? He's writing to Rome. Rome is as wicked of an empire as you could have in that period of time. And, Ro- and Paul is not abandoning Rome. Rather, he's writing to the group of believers that are going into Rome. And Paul would eventually go there and lose his life. Trying to save those who are in the tailspin of Roman chapter 1. And so we need to understand we're not abandoning this nation, as this nation is in a tailspin of sin. How many know that? They're in the spiral of death, and that's the backdrop that Paul gives to make them understand the righteousnesses from God. Meaning we want them to have the righteousness of God, and you're not going to get it through religion, you're not going to get it through politics, you're not going to get it through psychology, you're not going to get it through anything else but the words of this book from first to last because it deals with sin and only sin. It's trying to deal with sin, sin in politics, sin in religion, sin in everyday life, sin in, in everywhere that you go, this book is dealing with sin. And it is the lens we should look through it, not going through history, trying to find good guys and bad guys, because you're not going to find them. You're going to find all people who have came short of the righteousness that is of God. Amen? So if you keep looking in those areas, you're going to be forever lost. You're going to be forever disappointed. You're going to be forever looking, because you're never going to find righteousness in any of the institutions of this world. Amen? Hallelujah. So the warning signs are there. And you begin to see the things that Paul begins to talk about, about a nation 
who forgets God or an individual that forgets God. And you see these warning signs, and you have to ask yourself a question, where are we at on these pages of turning our back on God? And you have to ask yourself, can a nation, America, or any other nation, we could be just as easily sitting here in Canada. We could be sitting here in Mexico. We could be sitting here in South America. Uh, We could be in Russia right now. We could be in China right now. And we're all presented with the same question. God wants every nation of the world to be righteous. He wants to bless nations who are righteous. And so we have to ask ourselves a question, can America survive without God? Can America survive without God? And I went through some of the things that are positive that God says He will bless a nation. Do they support Israel is one. Do they have uh, retained God in their knowledge as far as their teaching? Do they have foundations that are biblical? Do they have structures of government that are biblical? And to a lot of those answers to those questions, we were in the affirmative. That yes, our foundations are that way, but we've went away from them. And so you ask the question, can a nation survive without God? And in Romans chapter 1, as I go through this, one thing you're going to notice is there are no exemptions in there. There's no exemptions there that says this applies to the nations of the world, but it doesn't apply to Israel because they're my people. In fact, God says He was willing to judge his very own people when they were wicked. How many know that? How many know the Bible is nothing if not a book of, I'm judging Israel for their wickedness. And to this day, they're bearing the brunt of judgment because so many times in their history, they've turned their back on God. And the Bible is very clear about that. And you say, well, is there an exemption for the United States in there? Is there something in there that says we're protected from the wrath of God because we're America. You know, God loves America. You got to say you're America there, right? And the truth is, there's no exemption there for America. Romans is talking about the wrath of God currently being revealed to those who turn their back on God. And so America doesn't have an exemption. America is maybe even more judged because we have so much light. We have so much gospel that has been preached where other nations don't have that benefit. And so we're judged even harsher because of that, the Bible says. So as we go in here, let's just look at what it takes for a nation to be blessed. How did we get in the place that we're in right now? In Romans 1.18, this is the context or Romans one twenty eight that I just read, this is the verses before. It says, For for the wrath of God, this is Romans one eighteen. Okay, the wrath of God, we know what that is, right? God is demonstrating judgment. It's his wrath towards something, right? It says it is revealed from heaven against all God ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, there's a lot in that verse. Okay? The wrath of God is, that is a present tense, and if you don't recognize that, um, you're not going to get this message. The wrath of God is being revealed. That means right now, 
He is revealing it against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now you ask yourself, why would God reveal His wrath where there is ungodliness and unrighteousness? And my answer may shock you, it's because He loves us. God is pulling, in these scriptures, He's pulling restraint away from people. Like right now, God restrains people and doesn't allow evil access to people. He protects people. But he says, where there is unrighteousness and where there is intentional ungodliness, he pulls his protection away. He pulls the restraint away. And it says, God is, his wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness and righteousness of men. Which men is it, is it pulled away from? The ones who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Suppression, we don't hear that word a lot. In a court case, if there is information that's not considered by the judge to be relevant to the case, he will suppress that information. So the jury will not hear that, and the lawyer is not able to present that information. And so it's called suppressing evidence, because it's not relevant or not deemed necessary by the judge. Well, these are men who suppress truth while they're doing unrighteousness. That means they have information, but they're going to hide that information from themselves and other people because it's not relevant to their life. Now, how many know there is a giant movement in this country, and everybody says amen, and in your heart? Oh, wow, you shouldn't have said that. Your heart is in the business of suppressing evidence that is truth because you want to do what you want to do. That's the truth. That's what Romans is saying. It's laying a foundation of our deceitful heart. So rather than retain God and deal with God over the issue, we will suppress it. And this is that dangerous sidestep that Adam took. God said... Trust me, don't eat that one little tree. I've given you thousands of trees. And one slight little, I'm going to suppress that information, and I want the knowledge of what God didn't want me to have. And by that, they had a dead son in their home. They had the first funeral. Can you imagine having never seen a human being die, see the first death, and know that that death was caused by us first leaving God's presence. And then before their lives are over, they were probably there to witness Lamech. You know, they were probably there to witness wickedness that you can't imagine, and then realize to themselves, all we did was sidestep God slightly. And now look how fast this is degraded. And it's the same way in our lives and in our nation. So they suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident or clear with them. For God made it clear to them, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that man is without excuse. That means that we all know there's a God just by looking up in the stars and seeing the heavens and the sun and the moon. And How many, when you were a little kid, you almost died and you said, Dear God, help me. Now, who taught you there was a God? 
Or when you hurt somebody and knew, dear God, forgive me, I know I did something wrong. And God is saying clearly, He has demonstrated to all men, this is called general revelation of God. Uh, Man has a general revelation that there is a God in heaven. That's why every culture anthropologists have ever looked at have been trying to appease God. Because every generation has known that there is a God. So we are without excuse, it says. For even though they knew God, they did not... Now get this, this is the big part of it. They refused to honor Him as God and they refused to give God thanks. So they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image, and in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, so what did God do? Because they won't retain me in their knowledge, and they've turned to man, They've turned to idols, they've turned to everything, and this is generally what happens in cultures from the beginning of time. Because they did that, God gave them up. It says, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so their bodies would be dishonored among them because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So God is, this is the first of three in Romans, where He says He gives them up. Now this word is really important. Uh, The giving up, in fact, let me find, I'm skipping in my notes here. The verb gave them over is paradidomai, And it means to be given over to judgment. It's used in Romans 4.25 and Romans 8.32 when Jesus was given over to judgment before Pilate to be condemned. The word is used numerous times in the book of Acts to describe one that has been arrested and given over into prison. In these instances, Christians were put in chains, locked up, and confined to jail. God gave them over to their desires. That means that... Because you don't retain me in your thinking, because you don't want to honor me and thank me in your life, I'm going to hand you over to be arrested. Who is the arresting officers? Satan and demons. How many know this? Because I don't want God, God says, okay, in my love I'm going to let you have what you want. Now why would God do that? God will let you go the way you want to go and He'll hand you over to the enemy and He will remove His restraint because He loves you. You say, well, man, how is that love? Because God knows you will not survive without Him. Sometimes, how many know, sometimes you need to see, sometimes because our heads are so stubborn and we're so opposed to God that God's got to say, okay, see what it's like without me. And so God hands them over in His love, hoping that they will recognize the error of their ways. So three times in this scripture, He hands them over to be arrested. Hands them over to the enemy. Right? So He goes on. 
Romans 1.28 in our text says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. In verse 18, he says, Men suppress the truth. And then in verse 21, he says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor God. So what God is showing here is, a nation who rejects God, certain things are going to happen when God hands that nation over. And when those things happen, you'll recognize that your culture is descending into a spiral of death. And when that spiral of death occurs, the purpose of that spiral of death is, come to me, come to salvation, come to the Lord to repair your individual home, your family, or your nation, because you're in the spiral of death. How many know God wants us to see? In fact, I'll, I'll tell you right now, just giving you an example of that restraint being pulled off. You know, there are lots of people that are in the streets, and they're very honest, loving people who just want equality and justice for everybody in this nation. How many know that? I mean, know that there are honest people that are in the streets that want that. Will everybody acknowledge that? There are some honest people. If you can't acknowledge that, you need to pray. Now, would everybody acknowledge that? There are innocent people, honest people that are listening to the media. And how many know when you see those kind of things, you're wondering to yourself, is that right, that level of police force? And how many know a lot of people are honestly wondering, is this right, some of the policies and procedures? If you can't say that, then you need to really pray about that. But at the same time, and this is the policy of a group like Antifa, they want to mix themselves in with those groups that are honestly and sincerely protesting for equality and doing it peacefully. And they have in such massive numbers infiltrated those groups that they are violent. And they are destroying our cities and they're anarchists and they are agitators. And and this is a fact. This is not something I've just written down. It's a fact. And one of the revealing things that you can do is a lot of these authorities in these areas refuse to address the anarchists. They refuse to address the damage to the cities. They refuse to arrest those who are intimidating. How many know there's intimidation? There's destruction. There's attitudes. There's crimes. And sometimes one of the greatest things you can do is if a Democratic governor or a Democratic mayor won't do anything to bring justice and law and order uh, in a situation like that so people can peacefully protest, then one of the things you need to do is just let it go. You say, well, man, why would we pull restraint off that situation? Because people need to see the ones who are destructive, the ones who are damaging, the ones that have no respect for people, the ones who are insulting people, name-calling, destroying property, murderous in their hearts, You need to sometimes see that in order to understand what that movement is. How many understand that? So God sometimes is very similar to that. He'll pull His restraint off of a group of people that don't want Him in their thinking because He wants the world to see 
This is what happens when God is not present. And so God will allow a life to run as fast as they can from God, and God will keep saying, I've given you up. I've allowed you to do this. In fact, Paul used it another way. He says, uh, that man in your church who's in sin, remove him from the church and release him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that hopefully he'll come back to the Lord. And that means that God is allowing that person to go live their life, and by living that life, the misery of it makes you want to come back and serve the Lord. I mean, oh, that's true. I've been released that way before. So now we get into the suffering, a society, what it's like when they're currently receiving wrath. And so God says that He is revealing His wrath on ungodliness, present tense. So as He says, I'm revealing my wrath. In fact, I'm taking my time here, so bear with me. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known of God is plain. Now go down, therefore. Okay, that therefore in verse 24 is very important. Because God just said that He's releasing His wrath. Present tense. And He says, therefore, and basically it's connecting with that releasing of wrath. This is what it looks like when my wrath is revealed in a culture. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the Creator who was forever praised. You see that God, the first level of God turning us over to the enemy, is degrading themselves sexually. How many see that? So it says, God gave them over to a depraved mind. In fact, when you begin to see a culture that turns their back on God, one of the first things you see is there's a cultural breakdown uh, sexually. So you begin to see fornication. Fornication just simply means that I can sexually be active with anybody that's not my wife. I can do it before I'm married. I can do it during marriage. I can do it after marriage. And there's just this impurity that begins to come into a culture. Now, why is that one of the first signs? The reason why that depraved mind is one of the first signs is because marriage was only instituted by God. You know, you say, well, how did marriage even become a thing? It's because God ordained it in the beginning between a man and a woman. And so the first thing you begin to see as a sign of the downward spiral is there ends up being an impurity in the culture relating to marriage. So you begin to see fornication, which is marriage or sexual activity outside of marriage. You begin to see adultery, which is people that aren't committed to a marriage relationship. They're going outside of the marriage. Uh, you see pornography, which is the uh, basically... Pornography is just having no respect whatsoever for the institution of marriage and sex. It's basically degrading, being a part of degrading the whole institution of marriage. It's dirtying up the whole institution of marriage. So you begin to see a society that begins to really get heavy in these areas is beginning the downward spiral. Okay, and then the second time he gives them up, first he gives them up to a deranged... Or a um, 
God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth for a lie. Okay, now 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. So you see the next section, now that the culture is permeated with uh, impurity, now he said, I'm going to give them over to sexual, shameful lust. Their women will exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men will abandon their natural relations with women and will be inflamed with lust for one another, men committing indecent acts with other men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their perversions. How many realize that this is steps in the degrading of a culture? This is the tailspin that we begin to see when we turn our back on God. And remember, Paul is writing this from a city that could be considered like the capital of this type of behavior. And he's trying to win these people to the Lord. But he's saying you have to recognize when my hand is not on you anymore, the culture, when I'm not protecting you anymore, when I'm not an influence anymore, this is what begins to happen, sexual impurity. Then shameful things will come. Men will no longer want to be with women. Women will no longer want to be men. Now they will burn within themselves for one another, and then the shameful lust will come. And then he goes on a little further. Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And then this is the third stage. And so in this third stage, Paul does something very interesting. He opens up a list of things that you're going to see in a society that God has turned over because they rejected God. Remember, it's a very simple thing. They just traded in truth for a lie. You say, well, when did we do this? We did it when we began to um, legitimize the teaching of the sexual revolution. When we started to say we can do whatever we want and it doesn't matter what God thinks. When we began to not retain God in our thinking and our sexual behavior, then the nation began to go into this tailspin and we should see all of these 21 things. Paul lists 21 things that will happen in this third stage. And let me go on and... First he says, he puts them in four sections. He said the culture will be filled with what the Greek word is pleru, all kinds of evil. This word filled, now get this, this word filled is the same word that's used in Ephesians 5.18 that says you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So how many know when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit urges you to do what's right and do good and do righteousness? And so you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, this says when this culture's God's hand has been removed because God's not restraining him more. Please get this. I'm sorry, I'm tripping up on my notes here. But when God removes his hand, it says they will be filled, just like the Holy Spirit fills a believer, they'll be filled with all kinds of evil. And so under this heading, pleru, let me give you some more definitions of the word pleru. It's not just being filled like pouring water into a glass to the rim. We think of filled as just fill a glass up full of water, right? Listen to this. Pleru is used of wind filling a sail and driving it along. To be filled with the Spirit is to be moved along in our Christian life by God. By the same dynamic, the writers of Scripture said that we're moved by the Holy Spirit. The men in Romans one twenty nine are being moved 
by their depraved minds to do unspeakable evils. When we remove God from our thinking and we allow sin into our lives, it not only fills us, but it drives us to evil because we didn't want God in our thinking. And so it says these people are filled in that way. Pleru also means permeation of salt when you're permeating meat in order to flavor it. How many have ever taken meat and rubbed it with a, um, a, a rub, you know, with salt and seasonings, and you let it sit in the refrigerator all night and you put it on that grill, and man, I'm getting hungry. But pleru also means a penetrating of evil. That means you're sitting around and evil is permeating your soul and it's becoming embedded in you. And so when God is removed and He takes His restraint away, we become to be, we, we become permeated and driven by evil. This is what's going to happen in our society. You say, man, that couldn't happen in America. Number three, that same word, pleru, also has a connotation of complete control. The person who is filled with sorrow is no longer under his control, but is totally under the control of the emotion of sorrow. Pleru is the same way with sin. It completely controls every part of your thinking and your actions. Hallelujah. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But here God's removed and it controls all your actions. And this being filled is in perfect tense, which means it's continually happening every moment of every day because God has removed His hand from you. So it starts off, unrighteousness is the title, and there's three things under unrighteousness. One is wickedness, greed, and evil. And I could tell the history of America, and I was starting to write all that history down, and like I said, it was just making me feel terrible because I'm trying to find the good guys or the bad guys or... You know, here's the ideal of what's right or wrong. And, and what I find is there's all kinds of these evils in our history from every group. Every group around the world, they're all guilty of sin, and they all have fallen short of the glory of God. And every once in a while, we see people full of the Holy Spirit doing something good. But too many times we see people full of evil doing the wrong thing. And so this, the way he writes this in the Greek, the first title that he gives is unrighteousness. And under unrighteousness, he puts those three things, which are wickedness, greed, and evil. Well, the first one is wickedness, which means violating a law, a departure from a standard. The word ungodliness is an internal attitude, and unrighteousness is the external action. The next one... In fact, wickedness is the word paneria. It describes the scheming by an evil person to commit their wickedness. They don't wait for sin to come to them. They actively plot to commit it. So the Bible says where there is an absence of God and a rejection of God, the first thing that will come is this word paneria, which means you won't wait for sin to come passively. You'll actively plot and plan to, to sin. Now, how many want that in their life? If I reject God, turn my back on God, suppress the truth about God, the Bible is clearly telling me here I'll be filled with planaria. I'll be filled with a desire to plot and plan and actually go after sin. But to be full of the Holy Spirit is what? To not have that in my heart. To acknowledge God, love God, honor God, that won't be in my heart. 
God will teach me to not have that in my heart. How many want that? Hallelujah. The second one is greed. Pleonexia in the Greek. It means an evil desire for more. There is never a contentment for what I have in life. I always want more. And can I tell you, our history is full of people that were full of that. Our history as a nation, our history as individuals in this nation today, we're full of greed. And the Bible says if we turn our back on God, like a sail in my heart, it's going to be full of that evil called greed, which means I want what's good for me, 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 and me, and I don't care about you. And God wants us to have the opposite of that. God is telling us there's, we're going to have a culture that's full of first people that are seeking to do evil all the time. And this downward spiral says then there are going to be people that are greedy for themselves and nobody else. I don't know, are we seeing this? Has God taken His hand off of our nation and off of groups of people? And is this stuff beginning to permeate our culture and penetrate our culture and fill us full of these things? And we don't want it. We can turn this around, church. We, we must turn it around in our individual lives, but we can turn around in our nation. God hasn't abandoned us. The next one, evil. Back to three were wickedness, greed, and evil under the term unrighteousness. Evil is... The, the desire to harm others in order to get what they want. That's what this, evil, this word evil means, kakia in the Greek. They run over people to work their way up the ladder. They step on people to fulfill their greed. Their sins are like links in one chain, each interconnected with the other. So wickedness, grief, evil are all together. I'm going to do all these things because I, my cell is full of evil because I rejected God. That's what we see. The next group. Section 2, he starts off with a title, they're full of envy. And then under the title of envy, the way it's written, is murder, strife, deceit, and malice. So he starts off with full of, but this isn't the same full of we've seen earlier, the pleru. This is a different word, it's called mestos, and it means to be full like a glass. Okay, And so these people will be full like a glass of these things. First, it will be envy, which means jealousy and wishing ill will to somebody else because I want what they have. How many have seen this in our culture? We're a culture that's being driven by envy. And then the envy will lead to what? This is a list that should go together. Envy will lead to murder. I say, well, man, we're not killing people. It's because there's laws against it. Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. And the Bible says that there will be such envy in a nation that has left God that they will be full of murder. Meaning one group will hate another group. One group will want to kill another group. Even murder to the level of, um, you know, I don't want my baby. How many know that a culture can be full of that evil and drive them along, and it can be fully because of greed. It can be fully because of malice. It could be fully because of envy. And we're just going to be so full of that that the Bible says that murder is an indication that we've turned our back on God. Church, I'm telling you what's in our streets. I'm telling you what's in our households. I'm telling you what is driving our nation right now because we've turned our back on God. 
Murder leads to strife. The word iris, it means contention, quarreling, arguing, bickering. Such a person will fight anyone to achieve the things that they want. The next one is deceit. It's the word dolos, which means trickery. Individuals are willing to lie to whoever so that they can acquire what they want. The last in this series is malice, kakothea, which speaks of the malignant hatred that is foaming up inside of a person. Church, do you see this? The evil is driving this nation along like a wind in a cell, and we're seeing murder, strife, deceit, and malice, and it's not because of our economy. It's not because who's in the White House. It's not because of what the legislature did. It's not because of the philosophy. It's because we've turned our back on God, Romans 1 says. This is the descent, and this is the tailspin that our nation is currently in. He gives another group. He says they are gossips. That's the title. And under that is slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. He's given classifications of sins here. He's saying these are the types of sins that will be present when God is removed. And this is a gossip is somebody who literally is a whisperer. They secretly murmur in hushed tones behind the backs of other people. They plant conspiracies that are conceived in darkness They have perverse plotting and sinister contriving behind the scenes for evil purposes. Nothing is out in the open, but depravity lurks unseen. So the gossip is this conspiracy of always plotting and planning evil against somebody who's unbeknownst and probably undeserving. That leads to slanderers, those who defame other people. And then at the root of all this, in the center of it is, They are haters of God. The one right in the middle is they're gossips, they're slanderers, they're haters of God, and because of their hatred of God, what are they doing? Trying to tear people down that are trying to do what's right for God. Right? It says they're insolent, which means they are lifted up in pride. They're verbal attackers, they heap insults on others. They're arrogant, which is hyperphanos, which means they refer, they raise their self Above others, they believe themselves to be better than others. Church, if you can't look through our history and see where people thinking themselves better than other people didn't harm us as a nation, then you're blind. If you think you're better than any other people or any other group of people, that is a source of so much damage in our nation. And this arrogance is a source of damage in our nation. This strife, this backbiting, this negatively, I mean, we can't even have a civil conversation in our nation because groups are insulting each other so badly. Insulting the highest to the lowest. There's no respect for teachers. There's no respect for government authorities. And it's because we've turned our back on God. If you had a father that cared about you, you wouldn't act that way. You say, well, man, I didn't have a father. That's not funny. If you had a Father in heaven who is telling you how to live your life, you wouldn't act that way. And church, we have a Father in heaven, and if you turn your back on how He wants you to live, we're going to have a nation that's going to go in a tailspin that we'll never get out of. Hallelujah. Amen. This is good stuff. (laughs) And then it says they're described as being inventors. Well, that's a good thing. How'd that get in there? 
inventors of evil. That means they'll be so desirous of evil that they're inventing new ways to be evil that nobody's ever even thought of. Like, well, man, I've never even thought of that level of evil. And church, this is what we're seeing. This, this could read on our front page of our paper as what's happening in our nation right now. We're in the tailspin of death. And Paul is writing this not to condemn us to death, to tell us this is why salvation is so important. Because we're depraved, we're broken, we're not able to do it on our own. There's not systems of government, there's not people, there's not philosophies, there's just the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he says, I'm not ashamed of for this reason. Because of everything that the human heart does to society. Then Paul says, not only the inventors of evil, but he says they will be disobedient to parents. This is part of that judgment. Remember, this is the wrath. It's not saying the wrath will come later, the wrath will come in another form. He said, this is the wrath. All these things are God's wrath because he removed his love. Because I removed my love and and allowed my wrath, one of the ways you're going to be judged is children will be disobedient to their parents. That means they'll have no respect for their mom, they have no respect for their dad. If they have no respect for mom and dad, they have no respect for their youth pastor. They have no respect for their teachers at school. They have no respect for their employers. I don't know if you guys know this, but we're seeing this. This is another judgment because God removed his hand. And God wants us to begin to see that this is part of that judgment. Judges, it says everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what we've seen in their culture and we're seeing now. The last one, sinful perversions. He starts it off with, without understanding. They're untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. So you're going to see groups of people that are, number one, untrustworthy, which means they're covenant breakers. The untrustworthy means they're not able to keep covenants. So you should, in this culture, see people that break covenants. What's the one covenant we know of in our society? Marriage. And so we're going to see people that frivolously, we should see this if God's judgment and His wrath is on a nation, we should see marriage should mean nothing. And in our culture, how many know that a lot of people in our culture, now God's calling us to do the opposite of all these things. We're driven by a different wind and a different spirit, but we're going to see in our culture, and Paul seen in Corinth, Paul seen in Rome, Paul seen everywhere that he went, these attitudes, but he's telling us this is what sin will do without God. If it's unchecked and naturally allows to develop and ferment, this is what you'll find. But the righteousness of God is what he's trying to preach here. God wants to give you his righteousness, not the world's. And so we should see covenant breakers. That's what untrustworthy means. Then he says they will be unloving and unmerciful. That means that they will have no compassion on other people. I mean, I've seen things in the news in the last year, most uncompassionate, unloving acts that I've ever seen. Some of you have seen that person, you know, that elderly person walking down the street and the guy just, you know, just knocks him down as he's trying to struggle down the road, you know. And, and I see this not in just groups of people. I see it all across our country, unmerciful, uncompassionate. 
And church, that is a the wrath of God being revealed in the fact that He pulled His hand off of us. And what God wants us to do is say, God, come back. God, we want you. They may not want you, but we want you. We're sorry, God. We want you in our life. We don't want to suppress your truth. We want your truth. We want you in our life. We can't live without you. We can't survive without you. And church, sometimes we want to abandon but God is just looking for His church to be faithful to Him and not turn their back on Him. When the church turns their back on Him, we're in trouble. But as long as we're faithful to God, God sees that faithfulness in His people. And we can't turn our back like our culture does. I mean, what would happen if Paul in the middle of Corinth decided, hey, I'm just going to live like the Corinthians. i got it made here, man. I'm on a beach. And I'm just going to go that way and forget God. What would have happened? What if the Roman Christians would have not given their lives to serve the Lord and just said, hey, we're going to, when in Rome, live as the Romans. Right? What if they would have done that? But God called people to live right with the wind of the Holy Spirit driving them as opposed to evil driving. Okay? Let me go on here. So last, he talks, he says, And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do they do it, but they give their approval to those who practice them. So this is the summation, the summary of what he's saying here is watch out when a nation not only not only sees that they're doing these things and doesn't act, but now the last step is they're giving them approval. They're codifying their ability to rebel with God. Remember I said early on that one of the things we did as a nation was we recognized natural law? Meaning if God approves of it, we give approval to it. If God doesn't, then we don't. And church, we've went away from that as a nation. We've decided to remove God from our judicial decisions. We decided to remove God from our learning, which means God doesn't have a place in our education of our children. We've removed God from the public square where we're almost embarrassed to say the name of God. Uh, We're almost embarrassed to admit Jesus Christ is our Lord. And we're almost embarrassed to saying, God, we trust. And uh, church, I'll just tell you this um, as I close this message and this series. We're not going to change these things by petitioning our local government. Although, I recommend that you always petition your local government. We're not going to change these things by lobbying politicians. How many know a lobbying group is not enough to change the things that we're talking about here? Although, if you have a chance to lobby politicians, <laughs> do it, okay? We're not going to change by voting certain people into office. It would be a nice fix to say one election, one person, one senator, one representative owning the House, owning the Senate, owning the White House, and those one things, that will change us. Although, I do recommend every election, every Senate cycle, every representative election, every local election, every uh, school board assembly, we fight 
very hard for change. Change in the right direction and be driven by godly principles, but that's not enough to change this nation. Because the problem that the nation has is a problem of the heart. And the only thing that will change the heart is the Spirit of God filling an individual heart and driving them to do the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. That's the only thing, church. Revival is the only thing that will change this nation. The times that we've done good things in this nation, the times that we've had positive change, uh, the Revolutionary War would have never happened had there not been the Great Awakening. I mean, know that. The Civil War would not have happened had it not been for the Second Great Awakening. Those are two revivals. And had those revivals not happened, we would not have been fulfilled with the Holy Spirit to make positive change. The civil rights era would not have happened if the Spirit of God would have not filled Christian people to make change. How many know that? A lot of you don't know that. Might have to teach on history some more. I might have to. You're going to force me. But the only way we're going to have change, church, is we've got to change. We got to be full of the Spirit of God. We got to walk in it, not just when we're in church, but when we walk out the doors. We got to stand up for what's right, even if it means harm to us, even if it means losing friends. We've got to do it in love, and we've got to reach out to people. We've got to be full of the Holy Spirit, and we've got to do what's right. We've got to do what's the righteousness of God, not what seems good in our heart, which will always deceive us. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. You bow your heads. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you bless this message, Lord. Lord, I pray that you put your spirit upon it. Lord, um, hide me, Lord. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. Lord, I don't want to be seen, Lord God. I want your spirit to move on hearts, Lord God. I want real change, Lord God. I want to see, Lord, real righteousness, Lord God. I want to see your spirit move upon people, Lord God, to do the right thing, Lord God. Not just what the media or not just what social media or not just what you know their political parties tell them to do, Lord God, but actually be full of the spirit and do what you're telling them, Lord. Lord, to find you, Lord God, to have conversation with you, Lord God, be full of love, peace, joy, long-suffering. Lord, we need you, Lord God. Lord, I just pray that this church would acknowledge their need for you, Lord God, their need to be in your presence, their need to be full of your spirit, their, your, their need to have your counsel. Lord, I just pray that you move upon this church, Lord God. Do what I can't do, Lord God. Oh, hallelujah. Church, I just want to ask you today, if there's somebody in here, you've never given your heart to the Lord, I would love to pray for you. If you're sick in your body, if you uh, are struggling with, um, you know, maybe you're so caught up in politics that you're angry all the time, and you want to make a change, but you just don't know how, uh, we'll pray with you this morning. Hallelujah. Uh,
So the altars are open, and I just, like I said, let's not make the mistake that so many in the past have made by stepping away from God. Let's acknowledge God. Let's do the opposite of what Paul's saying the downward spiral is, and that is we're going to acknowledge God, we're going to honor God, and we're going to thank God. And that's the key, church, to be full of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. It's darker, Lord God, that we uh, shine even brighter, Lord God. I pray that you would give strength and courage to do the 
right thing, Lord God, that the righteousness of God would just shine through your people, Lord God. I pray for those who are on that downgrade, Lord God, of sin, Lord God, where they're, Lord, they're running far and fast away from your presence, Lord God, and your protection, Lord. I pray that you use us, Lord God, to reach those people, Lord. Father, that we wouldn't hide our light, Lord God, but we would let it shine, Lord. Father, you would fill us with the right words, as inadequate as we are. Fill us with your words, your power, your glory, to do mighty things in these last days, Lord God. Raise up your church, Lord God. Bring a revival to this nation, Lord God. Wake up your people, Lord. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.